Hi, Josh Sorrell here from Sandhill FWB Church in Sandusky, Ohio. The podcast that you're about to enjoy was given live before our congregation here at Sandhill, and we pray that this podcast will encourage and challenge your walk with Christ. For more sermons like this, as well as additional Christian content, visit our website at www.sandhillfwb.com or check out our social media pages on YouTube and Facebook, keyword Sandhill FWB Church. May God continue to richly bless your journey every step of the way. So, if you remember a few sermons back, we talked about uh, predestination and free will and all of that, and I said that we are not going to go into it in depth because most of you just simply don't care. Uh, that's kind of the way this chapter is. I think this is a very deep uh, subject, a very profound subject. Uh, would throw this out there. If anybody would like to know more about it, I love this kind of stuff, and I would love to talk to anybody about it. Uh, but I'm guessing that most of you really just don't care. So uh, we're going to kind of uh, just real quickly summarize what Paul is saying. But basically, God called Abraham and called the children of Israel. Uh, they were his chosen people. But then he set them aside. And then he, uh, because of that, was able to bring in the Gentiles. And grace came in and Christ died for us. And now we're all a part of it. And he is going to, in the end, bring Israel back and be a part of the church. Uh, so uh, that, that's kind of a quick summary of what Paul is saying here. Again, I don't think it's something most of you really want to go into depth on. I would like to, uh, to just draw your attention to verse number 6, uh, and, and I just want to make this uh, really clear. And if by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more work, or no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. <clears throat> you cannot say, according to this verse, you cannot say, I am saved by grace and I will go to heaven as long as I do what I'm supposed to. That is works and grace. It has to be one or the other, but it cannot be both. It cannot be what I do plus what Jesus does. It is either what Jesus does or it's what you do, but it cannot be both. And that scripture is so very clear. I don't know how you can interpret it any other way. Uh, clearly, the way to heaven is Jesus Christ, and uh, we, we, can't, we can't make ourselves part of that equation. But let's jump down to the end of the chapter. That's where we're going to be preaching from. Uh, verse 33 and these are familiar verses. The, the first uh, 32, not so much. Uh, again, uh, uh, just a kind of a deep, difficult subject to really grasp. But the last three verses here, uh, um, they, are, they are very popular, but I think often they are taken out of context. So this morning we'd like to stick them back in context and, and try to have an understanding of it. And, and Paul here is, he is saying, oh, the depths, the riches, the wisdom, the knowledge of God, and how unsearchable his judgments, how, how his ways are past finding out. Uh, who hath known the mind of the Lord? Who hath been his counselor? Who hath first given him and shall be recompensed to him again? And, and of of him uh, and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. What Paul is saying is I've just rehearsed to you the last four or 5,000 years what God's doing with salvation. And, and Paul is saying it is, it is above all of us. It is amazing. It is when you look at all of it, it is so big. And what Paul's really saying is, wow, God is amazing. Isn't that really what Paul's saying? 
If you take it in context, Paul is, in this text, he is literally saying he is just uh, overwhelmed with how great God is. And uh, Now, um, I, was, I was kind of excited about the title this morning. It may not be on Josh's level, but for Gary's level, it's pretty good. Uh, but our theme for the year is actually verse 36, and all things, all things we do are going to be about Christ. Amen. Can I get an amen? All things we do are going to be about Christ. That is verse 13 or 36. And that is our, our uh, uh, year uh, theme for the year. But I began to think about what Paul was saying here. I believe Paul was in awe. I believe that Paul was just, when he really began to see the magnitude of what God had done, he was, he was staggered. And so I titled the message, All Things, A-W-E, Things, uh, uh, to go along with our theme for the year. But that's what we want to talk about this morning. We want to talk about uh, being in awe of God. Now, before I get too far into the message, let me just ask this question here. This is kind of important for everybody here. If you guys don't know something, whose responsibility is it to tell you? It's my responsibility. Right? So if there's anything lacking in this church or anything we don't understand, anything maybe we need some clarification on, it, it is my duty to do that. And the reason I point that out is uh, this message this morning is not to uh, um, criticize. It is to make sure that we understand uh, what God has called us to do. So the word all... By definition, just out of, this isn't out of the Greek, this is just the definition of the word. The word awe is a feeling of reverential respect mixed with fear and wonder. I actually think that's a really good uh, uh, definition. It is the idea of being so reverent and so respectful and so afraid and kind of in wonder of the awesomeness of God. Now, let me ask you guys, is that how Christians are supposed to be? <laughs> is that how Christians are supposed to be? Are we supposed to be in awe of God? We're supposed to be in awe of God. We got to look at him and say, the wonder, the, the, the mightiness, the, the how great God is. We're in awe of how big he is. We, we sing the song, um, 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 God is an awesome God. Isn't God an awesome God? He's an awesome God, and we ought to be in awe of him. We ought to just be just overwhelmed with how great he is. Uh, uh, Psalm 4, 4, it says, Stand in awe and sin not. Com commune with your own heart up upon your bed and be still. Selah. In verse uh, 33, uh, 8 Psalms, it says, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. I, I would challenge this with, with anybody here. I would challenge you. I would challenge you this. I would like for you to find me one time in all of the scripture, Genesis to Revelations. I'd like for you to find me one time when someone came into the presence of God and they weren't just completely struck with awe. I, what I'd really like to kind of argue with you this morning is this isn't something you do. This is something you can't help but do. Because when you come face to face with God, you will be in awe. And that kind of begs the question, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but, but a lot of people must not be coming into the presence of God because they're never struck with awe. Am I making any sense this morning? We ought to be in awe 
just in an amazement, just astounded, just in wonder and fear of the, of the almightiness, of the greatness of, of our God. And certainly that is where Paul finds himself as he looks back over. You know, Paul, Paul preached eight chapters on, on uh, uh, salvation, and then he got in some predestination and some uh, free will, and then he got uh, into, uh, last week we learned about uh, faith, and, and hear, hearing uh, faith cometh by hearing. And this week he talks about the whole big, huge plan of salvation from all the way back from Abraham all the way up to the end of time. And Paul just like, wow, wow, look how great God is, amen? And so I want us to, I want us to think this morning about um, how awesome God is, amen? Are you guys with me? <clears throat> and again, if this, is, if this is lacking, it's a pastor's fault. But I would like to say that this subject, it needs to be addressed, and I think there's some maybe that are mis uh, have misunderstanding on it, and I think some have just ignored it. But I think it's something we need to have is is the is the awe about God. So number one, uh, seeing the all things, seeing the all things. So title being all things, and, and again, kind of a play on words, but we're talking about all things being about Christ. But how many of you know that when you see Christ, there's going to be some all there, right? And, and what are those all things that we see? So let's just quickly look at some of the all things. It, again, what Paul has just described to us, all that God did to create salvation. Do you know, before there was ever Adam and Eve, God had a plan of salvation. Never think that was a plan B. He, he, knew, he knew we'd turn our backs. He knew we'd need a Savior. He knew we'd be no good, and he knew he needed to save us. And then he brings Abraham in, and I'm not going to try and re-preach re the whole Bible, but when you just think of how big it is from Adam and Eve all the way to Abraham through Noah, all the way to Jesus Christ, all the way to us, when you think about all that God did, you have to say, wow. And, and as kindly as I can, if you don't say wow, you didn't understand. Because if you did understand, you'd say wow, Okay. But, but let's go, let's go a little bit, little bit farther. What about all that is involved with justification? I'm going to make a statement. You can do what you want to with it, but there's nobody here in this church, including the pastor, but there's also no one in the United States, but there's also no one on the planet that understands justification. God took a rotten piece of dirt that had no good in it and formulated a plan where God could become a human, live perfect, and give me his righteousness. You tell me you understand that. You don't. They're, they're, I've heard the greatest minds there are trying. You, you tell me you understand God being a man. You don't understand that. You can't possibly understand that. You can't understand how I am just as righteous as Jesus Christ. You can't understand that. But you have to study the one. You have to say, wow, wow, I'm like God. I have the righteousness of God put it on my account. And when God sees me, he says, I'm just as righteous as Jesus Christ. You have to say, wow. And if that doesn't give you some awe, you don't understand. Am I making any sense this morning? And let's just go a little bit closer to home. Personally, what God did to save me. I want to ask this to everybody here. Uh, to, to you, if you're saved, if you're not saved, you can answer the question here in a little bit. But if you are a Christian, 
How many of you, before you were saved and the Holy Spirit was, was, was tracking you down, how many of you cooperated? How many of you said, okay, I, I'm not going to resist? How, how many of you did all the right things? And I mean, it just, you just lined yourself up perfect to be saved. How many of you can say, I was doing everything in my power not to get saved? I was running away from God. I was making terrible decisions. I was ruining my life. I was doing everything I possibly could. I was, I was totally uh, uh, ruining my life, and God wouldn't give up, and he still saved me. Can anybody say that? He still saved me. Can anybody say, wow, amazing. I, listen, I know Gary. I know how messed up Gary is. I know what, God, what Gary has done. I know how God had to work with me, how God wouldn't leave me alone, how God continued to pursue me so he could save me, and I have to be in awe of this great God. How many of you can, personally, what God has done to work in my life? Are there any people here this morning who can say not only did God save my soul, but I've been a mess ever since then. <laughs> Anybody can say that? I've made so many bad mistakes. I've, made, I've done so many stupid things. I have rebelled against God. I have done everything. But is there anybody here that can say he wouldn't leave me alone? Are you guys getting this? Listen, I'm not looking at a bunch of good people here. You guys didn't deserve to get saved. And once you got saved, you didn't deserve him to love you. But he has constantly loved you and worked with you, not because you deserve it, but because he's an awesome God. And we get that. We say, wow, <laughs> I don't deserve to be saved. I deserve to go to hell. I don't deserve for him to work with me. You know, I really think this in Gary's life. I, I, I don't fathom him saving my soul. But after he saved my soul, I think he should have thrown me away a long time ago. He should have just got rid of me. I, I've, I've prayed literally multitudes of times. Like, God, I can't believe you still keep me around. Am I alone? Am I alone? God, why didn't you just get rid of me? I, I, fa I failed just so many times. Just, just, just get rid of me. But you know what? He just keeps on loving me. I don't understand that. I don't understand that. But I do know he's an awesome God. And when I really begin to fathom it, I have to be in awe of who he is. <clears throat> And can I just say this very seriously? How we see God's love to those who are still sinning. I think if you have a, a, one ounce of discernment, you can see we're living in end times. Is anybody with me? Has anybody asked the question, why in the world hasn't God brought it all to an end? The whole world's rebelling against God. The whole world's in a mess. Doesn't seem like it's ever going to get better. Why doesn't God just bring it to a close? Do you know, I want you to fathom this. You talk about God being awesome. I want you to fathom this. Do you know God may be holding the entire human race up because there's one more person he wants to save? You tell me he's not an awesome God. Someone right now who is, is living evil, who is rebelling against God, who is being sinful, who is a wretch, who God says, I don't want them to burn forever in hell, and I'm going to hold back eternity just a little longer, and maybe they will get in. Now, does anybody have any family here that's not saved? Any loved ones that's not saved? While you can't understand why God's doing it, 
Is anybody here glad God's holding it off a little bit longer so they don't go to hell? But look at how God loves sinners, how he works in sinners' lives, how he <clears throat> just continues to, uh, to draw them even though they run away from him. So <clears throat> that is not even scratching the surface. That is such a shallow uh, uh, referencing of how great our God is. But I do want you guys to see, if you'll just study your Bible, if you'll just open your eyes, if you'll just look at God, you're going to be in awe of how great God is. Because he is a great God. Amen. He's, he's an awesome God. You're going to be in awe of the things he does. And Paul is saying here of the, the depths, the riches, the wisdom, the knowledge of God. It's, it's unsearchable. When you begin to read the word of God, uh, some people say, you know, how do you understand this? And, and I've had to tell people, listen, you're not going to understand all this. It's, it's too deep. It's too great. It's too mighty. But it leaves you with a conclusion. He's an awful big God. Amen? He's an awful big God. So, uh, uh, that, again, I know that's a very uh, uh, scratching the surface description of how great God is. I hope it gives you something to think about. But if you would all get what I said, or if you will come to the point where you get what it says, what, are, what is the response to all things? So you say, wow, God is really amazing. What's the response that's supposed to come from that? And I, and I think we, we may... Have, have kind of missed this in Christianity. And as I look around, I think this is really missing in Christianity to a great degree. Again, back to what I said a while ago. I challenge anyone in this church, anywhere online, I challenge anyone. I challenge you to find me one time, Genesis Revelations, where anyone comes into the presence of God and is flippant, that is casual, that is lackadaisy. It's not there. They're always, they're usually, Brother Charles, they're on their face worshiping God. You know, when you come into his presence, that, that's what happens. There, there's no one comes in and says, well, you know, it's God, but let's, you know, let's, let's figure out what we're eating for supper. No, you forget all about yourself. You forget all about what you want. You forget everything. Everything goes away, and all you can think about is God. And it brings a seriousness. It brings a fear. It brings a reverence. When you really see God and you respond to the awe of God, um, it will change you. And as I've already said, <clears throat> see, I'm, I'm trying to teach you guys that if we are in awe of God, we will be serious when we're in God's presence. We will have a reverence when we're in God's presence. We will have a fear when we're in God's presence. But here's the thing. I don't think this is a, I'm going to force you to be serious. I'm going to force you to have fear of God. And no, 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 no. I don't think that's what this is at all. Here's what I think it is. If you come into God's presence, you will be serious. If you come into God's presence, you will fear. Okay? If you come into God's presence, you will, have a, you, will, you will be awestruck. You will just be overwhelmed with how great God is. And so the idea that we're getting here is either there are a whole lot of people who are never coming into the presence of God or, or, because you don't get to come into the presence of God and not be serious. And I don't know if that makes any sense to you guys or not. <clears throat> what about this? We have worship, worshiping God, uh, um, and we, we don't have time to get into all of that. But if I could really, really, really simplify, 
everything we argue about and everything there is. You know what the bottom line is? You know what worship is? Wow. Is that enough? Wow. He's awesome. He's amazing. He, I, I, wow. That's really what worship is. It isn't forced. It isn't trying to. It isn't making yourself do it. It is seeing how great he is, and you can't help yourself but say, wow. Is anybody understanding this? It, it is the awesome. And, and dealing with the holiness of God, dealing with the holiness of God, when you realize how holy, sinless, uh, perfect, uh, righteous that God is and how rotten and, and sinful and, and wretched you are, how can you come into his presence and not have an awe? Okay? So let's look at, let's look at number three. And, and here's where uh, Brother Richard's uh, comment comes in. What does it look like? Say, preacher, I understand we're supposed to have an awe of God. I, I, I get that it has an effect on us, but what does that look like? So how does having awe affect us? What's it look like? Let's just, just quickly, let's just look at some of the things. And again, I, I want you to, I want you to, I want to put the rubber where the rubber beats the road. I want to make this, this applicable where you know how to apply being in awe of God. So the first thing we have is how we approach God. And, and, and can I just say this? Let's, let's just get this out on the table, okay? We're going to talk about a few things. Some of it might sting just a little bit, but let's just say this here. Starting with the pastor and all of you guys, we all could do a little bit better, okay? We could all do a little better. So this isn't a, a me beating you up or this isn't a pointing out the bad people. I'm, I'm pretty sure there's no one in here that's at the end that's going to say, that doesn't apply to me. All of us need to do better. But in seriousness, in dead seriousness, I am so proud of you guys. And I don't know for sure who all is doing and who's not, but those of you that are doing the, the, the strategic comprehension plan, I'm asking you to read five chapters every day. Uh, and some, this week, this month, I think it's six chapters every day. And I, I'm putting you guys to this, and I, and I really appreciate a lot of you guys doing it, and a lot of you guys do it. But let me ask this question. When you come and open up your Bible, what's the attitude that's there? Do you realize this is God's Word? There ought to be an awe. This is God talking. Right? This isn't a chore. This isn't, a, this isn't something I just do. This isn't something I flippantly do while I'm thinking about something else or paying attention to TV or whatever it is. This is an, God's word. We ought to come into it with an awe of who's talking to us. Amen? And I'm just guessing, starting with the pastor, I'm just guessing we could all do just a little bit better on that. Taking serious the word of God what about prayer? You know, theologically, it is accurate to say that God, I am accepted in the beloved. Is that, is that, is that right? If theologically, it's, it's right to say that, that I can come boldly before the throne because I'm covered with the blood. Theologically, I have the righteousness. So all of that, I understand that is theological. But when I get down and pray, even as a child of God, there ought to be some awe there. There ought to be some fear there. There ought to be some wonder and amazement there. I'm talking to God. Listen, listen, listen. How did we ever get used to that? I can come and talk to God. 
Have you ever thought if there wasn't such a thing as prayer, if there was a telephone in, in, in if there was a telephone in California and, and you could pick it up and you could talk to God person to person, you could charge a million dollars a minute and you'd never and there'd be a line all the way across the country wanting to get on that phone. But yet you and I can go talk to him, talk to God, go into the throne room of the Holy of Holies in heaven and talk to God. And then we do it casually or flippantly or don't take it serious. See, there's the awe of God is just simply saying he's such an amazing God. Uh, how I deal with him uh, uh, ought to reflect that. <clears throat> So now let's look at worship, how we worship God. We've already touched on this, but should there not be an awe when we worship God? Really what is needed is a humility when we worship God. We talked last week about the Holy Spirit, and we talked about how the Holy Spirit works when we are humble. So, and we've been learning a lot around here in this church but if it doesn't matter about you because you don't matter because you are flesh, if it doesn't matter about you and it's all about him and you're humbled down, why do you puff up when it's not the way you want it? <laughs> oh, that got some smiles. First time in the whole message, I got some smiles. See, if we're worshiping God, it doesn't matter if you like it or not. We're worshiping God, Right? Uh, and when I'm humble, I realize I don't really matter. All we're here for is to worship God. And if God is being worshipped, I ought to get in on it instead of saying that's not my favorite song. Uh, but, but moving right along, so let, I want to ask this, this question. Now, now this is going to hit all of us, and we're all going to have to let it sting just a little bit, but it's going to hit all of us. But this is what I wrote in my notes. I want to ask you guys this question. If you're understanding anything I am saying this morning, if you come to church and you worship God and you are bored or half-heartedly doing it, I would like to argue that is sin. Anybody with me? Oh, he's so great. I love him so much. Oh, it's just so exciting to be here today. I just, God's just so great. We laugh, but don't we see worship like that all the time? Don't we just, I half-heartedly want to be here, but I really kind of wish it'd be over so I could do what I really want to do? That is sin, people. If you realize who God is, this won't be boring. If you realize who God is, you won't be half-hearted. If you realize who this is, worship service will not be uh, taking up part of your schedule. Worship service will be what makes your schedule because everything else doesn't matter. But we have come to a place where a lot of people are bored in church or they're half-hearted in it. And I just want to say, if you're worshiping an almighty God, an awesome God, that is a sin. But Charles, the, over in Ezekiel and over in Revelation, there's a couple places in the Bible, the, 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 the scroll is rolled back and we get to look right into heaven. Can you just, it says the cherubims and the seraphims and all those, they're, they're on their hands and feet. Uh, they're worshiping God saying, holy, holy, holy. Can't you just imagine one of the cherubims looking over the other and saying, how soon is this over so we can go out to eat? I mean, this, this whole thing of telling God how great he is is kind of running over this morning. I got to get to Bob Evans. Right? I mean, come on, we've been doing this for, you know, thousands of years. Can't we cut out early today? Not when you're in God's presence. 
Am I making sense to anybody? The awesomeness of God. Uh, uh, um, we, we We ought to be overwhelmed when we come into his presence. All right, guys. <laughs> Reverence for the church service. You just listen to a preacher. There's not many of you here who know him, but he's dead now. And I know this was a different time, a different place. And I know today we get offended and we get our feelings hurt real easy. And so we're not allowed to say anything that might offend somebody, which I'm getting ready to do. But, um, but this was his theory. If I'm preaching the word of God, you better sit there and be quiet. And if this isn't the word of God, let's just go home. There's no reason to be here. Can I say, I don't think that's a bad theory. I don't think that's a bad theory. Now, if God is awesome, and if we are worshiping God, and if we are preaching the word of God, should there be a fear of disrupting the service? There should be. That ought to be a fear. They're worshiping God, but I'm disrupting that. And I know, you know, I've, I've, I've made this comment down through the years a couple times, and, and people always take things the wrong way, but, but I've made comments about not getting up and going out during the service. And someone say, Pastor, I was having a kidney stone. I know I'm not allowed to leave, but I've got a kidney stone. That's not what we're talking about, okay? If you're having a heart attack, you're allowed to get up and leave, okay? We, we will allow that, right? If you're going to die, we just assume you go outside and do that, right? So, so we understand that. Pastor, I'm on water pills. I, well, there are certain circumstances. But can I say most of you can sit here for an hour and listen to the preaching? Most of you can be quiet and sit here and watch the thing. Can I say we ought to be afraid to not be quiet? Amen? Have you ever thought about the fact that you talking or making noise or disrupting or whatever it is you're doing could cause someone to not hear the gospel and die and go to hell? That's pretty serious. I mean, that's pretty serious. And so there ought to be an awe when we come in here. With, with the children, with, with the adults, with everybody here. Again, I'm not talking about if you've got some medical problem that, that is beyond your control. I'm talking about all of us normal people. Because if we go to the world, we sit still. I, I, can I just say this? I, let, let me just say this. Let me, let me just, let me just, those of you that are offended at me right now. Okay, I work a job. If I were to go to my job and all the hot shots are there, and we're having a very serious meeting, and it's going to last an hour and a half, I'd pee on myself before I'd get up and walk out of that room. Am I, am I, are you with me? Because it's serious. The bosses are here. But if God's here, pff, I can do what I want to do. Is that the truth or is that the truth? Amen? Amen? This is serious. And when you disrupt the church, you're saying it's not really that important. And, and we, ought, we ought to make it important. It ought to, there ought to be an awe about being in the church service. <clears throat> Coming into his presence in the church. Now I'm going to talk about just a couple of ways we do this wrong, just real quickly. And there are probably only a couple people here who will understand this. 
But is there anybody here, if you were raised Catholic, you understand this. If you weren't raised Catholic, if you're Baptist, you won't have a clue what this is. But does anybody here know what liturgy is? Did I say that right, Brenda? Liturgy, does that, did I get that word right? Does anybody know what that word is? Liturgy, thank you, Richard. I said it with a hillbilly slang, that's what the problem was. All right, that was the problem. Now we got that right. Does anybody know what that is? Anybody know what that is? So we're going to come into church and we're going to read liturgy. Is that right, Richard? Liturgy? We're going to read that. And you're going to sit very still. You're going to be very quiet. You're going to be very holy and reverent. Now, you could be the biggest rotten sinner ever was on the face of the earth, and you could care absolutely nothing about God. But while we read this scripture, we are going to be very reverent. And that's kind of the Catholic church, and that's kind of a lot of that, that type of a church. But how many of you know that's not all? How many know that's not? Do, do you guys get what I'm saying? That's not all. <laughs> that is, I'm afraid to say something, they will smack me, right? That, that is what that is. And see, I can pass a rule in here that says, if you get up and go to the bathroom, you're in big trouble. If you talk during church, you're in big trouble. I, I, I'm gonna, we're going to wear you out. If, that's not all. What I'm saying is, when you understand how important this is, you're afraid to not do it right. And in, in, in liturgy, the, the churches that, that have these very strict, structured things, a lot of times you go there, you know, here's, here's, a, here's an interesting thing. A lot of those churches you go to, the whole liturgy is in Latin. You don't understand a word they say. <laughs> but you sit there quietly while they do it. And then you go out, and what I'm saying is that's not the presence of God. That's not all. That's not reverence or respect. That is a form and a fashion that, that is not what we're talking about. But you go all the way to the opposite end of the spectrum, and you go over to the other <laughs> side of Christianity, and they say... When you, come into the, when you come into the presence of the Lord, it all hits you. You're going to roll around on the floor and flop and kick and speak in tongues and do all kinds of crazy things like that. And that means you have now come into the presence of God. But is there anybody that agrees with me that neither one of those things has anything to do with coming into the presence of God? None of those things have anything to do with that. You know what it is to come into the presence of God? I recognize how big he is and I take it serious. Because I am in awe of God. And I think that's what we ought to be here at this church. I think we ought to have an awe about being in the presence of God. <clears throat> Quickly, he's looking for the condition of our heart. He's not looking for whether we have our mouth opened or not. I'm, by the way, just real quick. I know I'm, Brother Richard mentioned this in Sunday school a few weeks back. I, I thought this really was, was helpful to me. But aren't you thankful for the church that you have the freedom to say, Praise God! Glory to God. Hallelujah. Amen. Aren't you glad you have the privilege of that? There's a freedom that, that you don't have to sit there quietly. You can worship God. But at the same time, if you're just saying it because you're supposed to be saying it, you're saying it for the wrong reason. You ought to be saying he's good because he is good. And I'm not even going to get into faking worship. <laughs> I'm not even going to get into that. But, but I'm just saying that is dangerous, okay? Uh, you, you just think about that for a little bit. Let's just think about the. we're still talking about how does it affect us, how does the awe affect us. What about the fear of offending God? Can you guys give me just a minute on that? What about the fear of offending God? We make a lot of jokes, and we're all human, and we're all dirt, and we're all bad. I, I get all that. But if I really was in awe of God, would I be careful what I said? Uh, back it up. Back it up. We'll go set to you guys. Get with me. Got two of you shaking your head. Would we be careful about what we say? Our mouths reflect what we think of God. 
How many of you know if you're in your home, God sees what you say? How many of you know when you're at work, God sees what you say? How many of you know when you're in church, God sees what you say? God sees everything. We ought to be, if I realize how great he is, I ought to be afraid of offending him. What just came out of my mouth offends God. I'm not okay with that. I feel like I need to just keep saying that because I don't feel like any of you guys are, are, are with me. I mean, I can wait till 3 o'clock to eat. I'm good with that. I don't care. Does God care what comes out of your mouth? Should we be afraid of what comes out of our mouth? Because most Christians are not. How I talk to that woman right back there, God cares about that. And how she talks to me, God cares about. Amen? Amen. How we treat one another, how we act, the attitudes we have. We ain't going to make it out here by 3 o'clock. I can tell you, we start talking about attitudes. We're not going to make it out here. I'm just trying to point out, we say we're Christians, we say we love Jesus. As long as we're talking about puppy dogs and, and uh, flowers, we're all happy. But what about if we get down where the rubber meets the road? Do you, uh, are you afraid to offend God? Because, by the way, God is offended when you break his word. We ought to be serious about that. Amen, we ought to be serious about that. So, thank you, Brother Charles. Thank you. <clears throat> Lastly, we'll close this out. I knew it was going to be a little bit hard, but I didn't think it was going to make it this hard on me. The seriousness of telling God no. So if you really think God is that big and you're in awe of God, how could you even conceive of telling God no? If God wants you to do a job and you think you can't do that job, how many of you know what the right answer is? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. If God wants you to do something and you're not comfortable with doing that, how many of you know what the right answer is? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. If God's telling you to, to, to be involved with something, to, to work at the church, to do whatever it is, and that in, in interferes with your schedule, guess what the right answer is? Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I will do that. So see, if we had a fear of offending him, if we had a fear of, of telling him no, if we took it serious when we come to the church house, things have changed just a little bit, wouldn't they? And I, I said all this this morning, I'm done. I said all this this morning because I love you guys. I really do. I think we're a fantastic church. I think you guys are a bunch of great Christians. But I want to challenge everybody here, starting with the pastor, we need to be in awe of the Lord and that will change our lives amen now if you're a sinner here this morning and you don't know the Lord let me just talk to you just for a minute Renee if you come to the piano we're not quite ready for the auto call but if you go ahead and come up love of mine it, if you don't know Jesus I, a couple things I want you to understand he really loves you he really loves you and, and I, I don't know your story. I, I don't know all about you. But I, I do know my God. And I know no matter what you've done, what, what wrong you've done, what's in your past, He still loves you. And He still wants to save you. And, and He is pursuing you because He wants you to surrender your life 
to him. I can promise you, uh, money-back guarantee, I can promise you, if you will come this morning and accept him as your Savior, it'll be the best life you've ever lived. Say, preacher, aren't you going to tell me all about I'm going to die and go to hell and I get to go to heaven and all that good stuff? We've been learning a lot around here. That is true. But that's really just starting the story. See, if you're here this morning and you haven't received Jesus Christ your Savior, you will burn in a lake of fire forever. And you say, Pastor, that's scary. Yeah, there's another scary thing. What about living the next 30, 40 years in a miserable life that you're living right now when you could have a brand new life that would be unbelievable because God's a part of it? That's what we're learning at the church that the gospel is about. It's not just getting out of hell. It's not just a get a jail free card. It's not just a I don't have to go to hell card. It is a come to Jesus and he will change your life. We pray that this message has stirred your soul as you continue on for Christ. If you've been blessed by this sermon, we encourage you to share this podcast with others that we may together embolden each other for the kingdom cause. To listen to Sandhill Sermons live, you can join us Sundays at 11 o'clock on Facebook and YouTube. You can also find additional content such as our Steadfast Studies podcast or the NOYC Godcast for Youth provided by Sandhill for spiritual growth of all ages. These can be found at sandhillfwb.com or on all major podcast platforms. May God continue to richly bless your journey every step of the way.